Good morning. What a great privilege and blessing to be with you today. We appreciate the challenging and encouraging message by Pastor Rossetti. And I appreciate the theme of our conference today, deeply rooted. And I'm very convinced that there's a great need for people to be deeply rooted in our day and time. From time to time, I meet and encounter people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they always seem to be looking for something more, as if Christ isn't enough. In fact, that's how theological liberalism took off in the last century. Theological liberalism took off because people came to believe that Christ wasn't enough. And therefore, what they really needed was Christ plus philosophy or Christ plus this, that, and the other. And this is what prompted J. Gresham Machen to write this, and I quote, A terrible crisis unquestionably has arisen in the church. In the ministry of evangelical churches are to be found host of those who reject the gospel of Christ, by the equivocal use of traditional phrases, by the representation of differences of opinion, as though they were only differences about the interpretation of the Bible, entrance into the church was secured for those who are hostile to the very foundations of the faith. Machen was battling the idea that anything needs to be added to Christ. That's what liberalism is at its core. It's adding to Christ. Friends, Christ is sufficient. Christ is more than enough. And when you know him, you don't have to go about your life searching for something to add to Christ. You could be assured that he is sufficient. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's a repetitive theme. He wants the knowledge of Christ that the Ephesians already possess to be taken by the Holy Spirit and driven down deep into their understanding. And you may be here today, and by God's grace, you may have a knowledge of some spiritual truths about God, and it may even be a genuine heart knowledge. But my prayer for all of us today is the same as Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. May the Holy Spirit take what we know and press it down deep into our understanding. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse number 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. According to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. 
in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Back in verse number 18, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And to enlighten just simply means to give light or to brighten or to make see. And Charles Hodge pointed out that the word that's translated as understanding in the majority of manuscripts is the word we get our word cardiac from. That's not the case in every manuscript, but in the majority of manuscripts. So therefore, some have translated this, the eyes of your hearts, or the eyes of your heart, and not the eyes of your understanding. And that's important to understand because it lets us know that the whole spiritual nature is involved. It's the same idea that we see in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As long as there are people living in this sin-cursed world, we will always stand in need of the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit to shine into our hearts. And I say this to us all, men and women, boys and girls, young and old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. In this life, we will always need the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit and we will never arrive at such a place to where we will no longer need the Spirit of God to come alongside us and enable us to clearly see spiritual truths. And I know so many people, and I see them on social media and everywhere else in life, and perhaps you do as well, who seem to think that they live above sin. And they seem to believe that somehow they have escaped the effects of the fall. And they can, by their own power, live in right standing with God by the things that they do or the things that they don't do. But the problem is, they can't do that in their own power. But as long as we're living and breathing the God-given air of this planet, we will always need the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you can quote. It doesn't matter how many chapters that you have memorized. You might be able to memorize chapter after chapter of the Word of God, but if you start drifting away from love... And you start drifting away from obedience in your day-to-day -day life and you begin to go the way of the world, you'll find that the scriptures will address you differently than they did before. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we are to be led of the Holy Spirit every day. Not just when it seems like it might be convenient to be led of the Holy Spirit. Not just when it seems like it might be appropriate or right uh, in a given setting to be led of the Spirit of God. No, we are to be led by the Spirit of God every day, uh, each moment of our lives. 
Uh, each year, by the grace of God, my family takes an annual vacation. and We need that time to get away, and we need that time to recharge. And I always look forward to it. But when we reach our vacation destination, wherever that may be, whether we're at the beach, or we're at a museum, or we're in a swimming pool, or we're at a restaurant, I won't be taking a vacation from being a Christian. No, I've got to keep on being a Christian. I've got to keep on loving the Lord. I've got to take up my cross daily and deny myself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To quote Martin Lloyd-Jones, whose work in Ephesians has been a great blessing in my life over the years that I've leaned very heavily to, he said this, We can never go on living on a reserve which we have accumulated. As it were with the manna in the wilderness, so spiritual understanding has to be collected freshly day by day. Unless we realize our dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the word will not speak to us. End quote. And I believe that is a part of what we are seeing in the United States of America right now. A whole nation trying to live on a spiritual reserve. They're trying to live on grandma's faith. They're trying to live on Papa's enlightenment. And that's why we have entire denominations that were once on the firing line for the Lord. They're bowing down to the idols of pragmatism and the idols of convenience. And we stand in need of the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John called it the unction from the Holy One. In 1 John 2 and 20. Let me read this to you. I'm going to 1 John chapter 2 if you'd like to go with me. Begin reading in verse number 8. 1 John chapter 2. Excuse me. Verse 18. 1 John 2 and 18. Little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that is, it is the last time they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need, need not that many, that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So, in this passage of scripture, the Apostle John is setting those on the left, the church, those who left the church rather, 
uh, he is setting them on one side, which he refers to as Antichrist. And on the other side, the true children of God. And I believe it was James Montgomery Boyce who noted here that the true children of God are distinguished by two essential characteristics. First of which being they have an unction from the Holy One. And secondly, they, all, they know all truth that's centered in Jesus. So John is making a very sharp contrast here. A contrast sharp enough that it doesn't always carry over quite as sharply from Greek to English. And you may be listening today and perhaps you're wondering, what should it look like in our lives to have an unction from the Holy One? It means that we are to be as Christ in this world. Those who are true believers and have this unction of the Holy One are to act as Christ would act in each of our various situations. That's why Jesus said in John 20 and 21, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. We are to be like Christ in this world. The church where I serve, we preach and teach and we have it outlined in our state. A statement of faith that the Bible is our infallible rule of faith and practice. We might not be able to explain it perfectly. We might not have a perfect understanding of it. Our theology may not be just perfect, but when we're saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, which God gives to all believers, begins to work inside of us a lifelong work of learning and education in spiritual knowledge. And the word that describes how Christ, by the Holy Spirit, teaches us all things and drives us to a deeper understanding, that word is unction. And unction is something that we desperately need today. Unction is not something that was conjured up by the charismatic movement, although there is a lot of misrepresentation out there. Unction is a real thing, and we need it. And it comes by the grace of God. Spurgeon said the members of Christ's church should be very prayerful, always seeking the unction of the Holy One to rest upon their hearts, that the kingdom of Christ may come and that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Apostle John wrote, Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now, of course, the all things here is not to be taken in the largest sense. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows all things in an omniscient sense, but all things are all things that relate to salvation, and it has in view a God-given ability to learn. When you've been given unction from the Holy One, your view of the Bible becomes the exact view of the Bible that Jesus has. And this is something I consider to be of the utmost importance because I would never want to come to a different conclusion about the Bible than Jesus himself. That would be tragic, to say the least. Jesus believed some things about the Bible when he walked upon this earth. He didn't have the Bible in one volume as we do today, but Jesus knew that Scripture had a divine origin. That means it comes from God. And not man. Jesus knew that scripture is inspired by God. He also knew that scripture is authoritative. 
That means having the right to command or act. That means that the Bible has jurisdiction. The Bible has liberty. The Bible has right. The Bible has strength. That's what authority is. The Bible has all of this. It is authoritative. Jesus knew that the scripture has authority because it comes from God. And unction is the reason that the Christian can believe these things about the Bible. These same things that Christ believed and still believes. And we don't believe these things about the Bible because of some formal class that we took years ago. We don't believe these things about the Bible because of some theological training that we received. Uh, Listen, friends, you can take all the classes that you want to take and you can undergo all of the theological training that you wish to undergo. And I, I hope that you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But unless God gives you some unction, that inward conviction brought to your consciousness by the Holy Spirit, then all of those classes and all of that training won't do you any good. This unction is something that only true believers have. The false teachers that John refers to, they don't have this unction. It's, it's this unction that makes the word of God come alive to the Christian. Because of this unction, you will never have to depend upon some higher order religious group to interpret the word of God for you. You will never have to depend upon the magisterium like the Roman Catholics do. You'll never have to depend upon the watchtower like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. You'll never have to depend upon the philosophers of this world and the atheistic, uh, secular, humanistic college professors of the day. But through the indwelling of the Spirit of God, all of us who are saved, we have the means of understanding Scripture for ourselves. And we can use that Scripture as the measuring standard to determine what's true and what's it's not true. So Paul is giving thanks in Ephesians chapter 1. And one of the main things that he's giving thanks for is that the eyes of their understanding or their hearts are enlightened. He's telling them how thankful he is that they already know much of Jesus Christ, and they already know much of God's grace, but he's praying that the Father of glory would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And in verse 18, it says that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And this is the effectual call of God by the Spirit, and included in this is the great privilege of understanding benefits of the Christian hope that we can all expect in glory. And Paul goes on to list some other things that he would like for them to know, such as the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And this inheritance that Paul is describing here is an abundant inheritance because God, our abundant God, is the author of the inheritance. It's a glorious inheritance because it has divine origin. And then there's the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe. When you know the exceeding greatness of his power, then you know that you didn't save yourself. You know that your status of being in Christ, if you are in fact in Christ, didn't come because you turned over a new leaf or because you submitted to some 
conformity of an outward moral code, but you know that your change came by the almighty power of God. So Paul is thankful for what they already know. But he has a great desire for the Spirit of God to take what they already know and drive that down deep into their understanding. In fact, that's one of the things that he's praying for over in Ephesians chapter 3. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, please. If you want to uh, read a passionate prayer, we're getting ready to read one. Consider the mind of the Spirit of God in inspiring these words and also consider the heart of Paul, the apostle. He's already thanked God that the Ephesians know a lot of spiritual truths, but he prays here that they would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. He's wanting them to grow in their knowledge of Christ and he desires their knowledge of Christ to increase. And in verse number 14... He writes, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Friends, there's none among us today who could say that we've arrived. There's none among us who could say that we've learned all that we ever need to know about God, and now there's nowhere else to go. There's no point in studying the scriptures. There's no point in putting forth any more uh, effort to learn or to grow uh, uh, anymore because we already know it all, because we've already arrived. I don't care who it is. The wisest, most skillful preacher the most intellectually gifted man of God, whoever that may be that you could think to name today, even he has room to grow in his knowledge of Christ. You can never get to the bottom of the love of Christ. His love passes knowledge. So not only is Paul telling them that they are to continue to grow in knowledge, he's saying that the love of Christ passes knowledge. Now that lost man out there on the street, he has no real knowledge of the love of Christ, but it passes even the knowledge of the most faithful child of God because our knowledge is not perfect. But Paul's prayer here contains an element of progressive knowledge. And I'm not using the word progressive the way that culture and media uses it today. They use the word progressive to mean that God's word has changed and it doesn't mean the same thing that it once did. But we're talking about the knowledge of God being progressive in the sense that there's always more to learn about the Lord. And Pastor David hit on this earlier and I can attest to this. I've noticed the same thing. But have you ever noticed a professing Christian who just never seems to grow 
in their knowledge of God. They were fully able, by all appearance, to dedicate themselves to the study of the Word and to learn more of the great truths of the Christian faith, but for whatever reason, maybe they were just lazy, maybe they just lacked the desire. I don't know what the reason for it is, but for whatever reason, they just didn't. And I've known men who claim to be preachers who have reached a certain level and then they were content to stay right where they are. And I'm not putting anybody down. Some of them will tell you this themselves. And it shouldn't be that way. And this is so very important. And I'm convinced that this is part of the reason that we have so-called churches today who are bringing in the drag queens and doing drag shows geared towards our children because many have lost the desire for their knowledge of God to increase. And when the revisionists came along and said, well, you know, the Bible really doesn't mean what everyone thought it meant for thousands of years. It really means something else. And now we're just going to celebrate love and we're going to love whoever we want to love. And love is just whatever you want it to be. Well, they forgot that God is the one who defines love. And they forgot that God is the one who sets the parameters for love in his word. And friends, God's word has not changed. But because professing Christians lost their concern for their knowledge to increase, they bought the arguments of the theological liberal revisionist who wanted to rewrite the Bible. And many people are in a great big mess today for this very reason. And I want to quote, uh, quote Lloyd-Jones again. He said this concerning the one who thinks that he's arrived and now he already knows everything that he'll ever need to know about God and about the scriptures. He said, but such an idea is entirely contrary to the New Testament teaching where the picture is rather that of a progressive growth and development and an ever-increasing understanding, end quote. May the Lord give us grace to grow that our knowledge will increase in him. This is what glorifies God. And we know this because he says so in his word. The Bible gives us the plain reality that when you are born again, you are a babe in Christ. You don't automatically become a fully mature Christian the moment the Lord saves you. In regard to your position and your status of being in Christ, you're just as in Christ as you'll ever be. But there are mature Christians and there are babes in Christ. We start off babes in Christ. But the scripture shows us that we need to grow in the Lord. And part of that growth includes growing in knowledge. And it's a very foolish person who arrives at the point in life to where they've concluded that they know everything. And I can tell you from my own experience, there have been quite a few topics in the Christian worldview that I had thought that I had developed a pretty good understanding of. And then I'd do a little bit more research. I'd do a little bit more study. I'd do a little bit more reading. I'd go back and, and reread a book that I had read years ago, and this whole new understanding would open up before me, and it just made me think, why didn't I see that before? But it's a mark of someone who is in Christ that they have a desire to know more and to learn more about God. So here's a good practical question. 
for all of us to consider today. Is your knowledge of God, the love of Christ, and just spiritual truth in general greater than it used to be? Say maybe a year ago? And I'm not necessarily asking you if you can quote more scripture than you could a year ago. It's a great thing to memorize scripture and to be able to recall the words of God when you need them. I've encouraged scripture memorization at our church for almost 16 years now. But sometimes people can memorize scripture the same way they memorize their social security number. Sometimes people can memorize scripture the same way they memorize a telephone number or the lines of a play they're performing in. I'm asking you if your understanding of the spiritual truths taught in Scripture have grown. Are you moving forward? Are you finding the nuggets that are embedded in the Word of God and feeding from them to the nourishment of your soul? Because that's something that the mere memorization of words won't do for you. So how does this increase occur? How does our understanding of spiritual things grow? It happens by the enlightenment of the Spirit. And perhaps today someone would ask, how can I receive this enlightenment of the Spirit? I completely understand that salvation is a work of God and sanctification is a work of God and, and God uh, allows us to grow by his grace. But there's something helpful and beneficial that God commands in his word that we should be doing. We need to be praying for the enlightenment of the spirit. Are we doing this? Are you doing this, friends? Are you praying daily, fervently, and faithfully that God by his spirit would enlighten our understanding of spiritual truths, that the Spirit of God would take what we already know and press that down deep, drive it down deep into our hearts. That should be our constant prayer. And one of the first and best pieces of advice, and I, I know I've said this before over at our church, that I was ever given by a mature Christian shortly after the Lord saved me was to pray that God would grant me understanding and enlightenment before I would read a chapter in the Bible. And then, after praying for understanding and enlightenment, go ahead and read the chapter. And then after reading the chapter, pray again that God would grant understanding and enlightenment. I believe the person who does this is showing that growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord is something that's very important. In their lives. They're also showing that they understand the importance of Christian doctrine, and they're showing that they have a desire to push on to spiritual maturity. The truth is, if you're not willing to push on to spiritual maturity, then you need to have the eyes of your understanding enlightened. You'll never be able to live out spiritual truths that you don't understand. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would have this understanding. And that's my prayer for all of us here today. That the Spirit of God would take what we already know 
and drive it deep, deep into our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, my prayer for myself and this blessed assembly is that we would ever be firm in knowing that Christ is more than enough, that Christ is sufficient. Lord, help us to always see and know that nothing is to be added to Christ, but in Him we can possess all things that pertain to life and godliness. God, please grant unto us all the spirit of wisdom and help us to grow in grace and knowledge that we might have confidence and assurance and that we might understand the power that we have in Christ. Lord, may lives be transformed today. Help us to present ourselves as living sacrifices, as an act of worship, that you may be glorified above all. And Lord, may your spirit take what we already know and drive it deep into our understanding. We ask this prayer in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.